The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew from the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Our Gospel this evening does come from St. Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and can be found in 1497 in the Pew Bible. Matthew records... This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because that is con- what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of, our so- all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. First century Jewish wedding traditions are very different from the wedding traditions that we have today, particularly in our Western culture. Parents during this time and other intermediaries, they arranged marriages. And just as a side note, as a father uh, and older now, I'm all for arranged marriages. But anyway, the groom paid a bride price, a bride price, to compensate the bride's family for the loss of their daughter's services. And the bride's parents provided her with a dowry. And that was intended to provide for the bride in the event that she became a widow. And the wedding ceremony itself... Well, it took place on one day. But the couple did not live together for about a year. You see, the groom 
would leave after the wedding and he would prepare a place for he and his bride to live. And while the groom was gone, the bride, the bride would be preparing her wedding dress. The couple is what they called betrothed. They are husband and wife, but they have not consummated their relationship. They each live as they did before, except they are both in an intense time of preparation and of eager expectation. And after the groom would finish building the new home, he would return for his wife. And the groom and his friends and his family, they would dress like royalty and come in splendor to the bride's home. And when the groom arrived, the bride and her family and friends would likewise dress in royal, royal robes and clothes. They would form a royal wedding procession to their new home. There, the happy couple would preside over a celebration of their coming together. The celebration often lasted a week or more. It was a big party. And this was probably one of the few times that the poorer members of that culture could feel special about themselves. Now, the biblical wedding is a strong metaphor for the relationship between God and his people. In the Old Testament, God brought forth his people out of Egypt. God provided for all of their needs, including both the dowry and the bride price. And the wedding took place on Mount Sinai. But the marriage between God and his people was a really rocky one. The wife, God's people, was constantly unfaithful and cheated on the husband. Even while the wedding ceremony was taking place, the bride was already unfaithful as she worshipped a golden calf. Do you remember that story? Yet, while the wife often complained and accused the husband of being unfaithful, God constantly sought reconciliation. But Israel constantly sought divorce until they found themselves exiled into a faraway land in Babylon. And in spite of all this, God continued to court his wife. He constantly sought reconciliation. And eventually he succeeded. And this time we see Christ paying the bride price on the cross where he paid the debt of our sin, your sin, my sin, and he gave his church the wedding dress of his righteousness. 
The wedding ceremony became complete when Christ rose from the dead and showed himself alive to his disciples. And with his ascension, he left to prepare a place for us to live with him forever. And even now, the church is the bride of Christ that's eagerly anticipating the return of her husband to take her home with him. The church is betrothed to Christ our Lord. Now our gospel for today tells us that Mary and Joseph also had that time of betrothal, that time of eager anticipation. Joseph and Mary were both busy preparing for their lives together. And Mary eagerly awaited that time when her husband Joseph would would come in royal splendor and take her to their new home. And all was going according to plan when Mary suddenly left to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. And imagine Joseph's shock when his wife returned and was obviously pregnant. The betrothal could not go on as planned. Joseph thought that he had good reason to be depressed and disappointed and offended, confused, even angry. And his wife, his wife was pregnant, and he was not the father. And there was no way for him to take Mary into his home. He would have to divorce her. And according to the law, Joseph had every right to have Mary stoned as an unfaithful woman. And Joseph chose not to do that. Our gospel tells us that Joseph was a righteous man, that he would divorce Mary quietly so that she would not be subject to the death penalty, and that he would help her all that he could, but there was no way that they could continue as husband and wife. Joseph was prepared to make the biggest mistake of his life, but he didn't know it. And the church often finds itself in Mary's position. You see, the church has something within her that is very good for the world. The church has the Word of God, the message of salvation. But the world takes offense. The world says things like, What gives you the right to tell me that I'm a sinner? I'm just as good as the next guy. The world says, How can you say that Jesus is the only way? That is pretty intolerant. And of course, we know the world is not like Joseph, and that also many Christians die for their faith. You know, there are, were more Christians, more Christian martyrs in the 20th century than in all the previous centuries combined. And the 21st century promises to be no different. But before we condemn the world, we need to look at ourselves 
The world's offense at the gospel often finds its way inside the walls of the church. We follow in the footsteps of Israel, and we are unfaithful to our God, and then have the audacity to find God's word offensive, and and maybe even seek to divorce him. How, you might ask? Well, for those of you that have gone through the rite of confirmation, listen to the words that you probably spoke or or something that was spoken to you that's similar. These words were, Do you intend faithfully to conform all your life to the divine word? To be faithful in the use of God's word and sacraments, which are his means of grace, and in faith, word and action to remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even unto death? Or listen to the words from our baptism. The words were these. Do you renounce the devil and all his works and all of his ways? All of us. All of us have answered these questions or ones like them. And how did we answer And how have we kept our promises? Have we found that we may have sent our children or grandchildren to Sunday school, but are too offended by the God's word to attend a Bible class ourselves? When we have out-of-town guests, do we eagerly anticipate sharing the word of God with them? Or are we so offended by God's word that we decide to stay home with them? Are we ashamed to discuss our faith in social settings? Or at work? If we examine ourselves in the pure light of God's word, we must all confess that we are regularly offended by God's word. We are regularly embarrassed to admit to our faith. We must admit that we have broken our confirmation and baptismal promises more times than we can even keep track. And we haven't even gotten close to death or dying for our faith. And we, like Joseph, are seeking a way to have a a nice, clean, no-fault divorce. Not from our wives, but from that holy relationship with God and our fellow believers in the church. And how blessed we are that God works to prevent such a divorce. That he works to enlighten us so that we can see that his gifts His gifts are not causes for offense, but they are instruments for reconciling us with him. Let me explain. You see, God enlightened Joseph by means of an angel in a dream. We read that Joseph, the angel said to him in the dream, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In just one sentence, God reminds Joseph that he is the rightful king of Israel by calling him the son of David. He tells him to take Mary under his protection, and he informs him that his wife has been faithful because what is inside of her is not of man, but of the Holy Spirit. And in one sentence, God answers all of Joseph's fears, and he removes Joseph's ignorance and prepares him for a very special vocation. I've got a big job for you, Joe, and I chose you to do it. And in the next sentence, the angel reveals the reason that God used such an unusual way to bring a child into the world. This child is important not just to Joseph, but also to the whole world. The angel said of Mary that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the words of the prophet reinforce the importance by telling us that this is Emmanuel, God with us. And for nine months, nine months, Mary was a living temple. For the temple is the place where God dwells with his people. And God was dwelling in, the, in Mary's womb in elegant simplicity. The angel tells both Joseph and us that Jesus is both God and man in one person. He tells us that this God-man is the one and the only Savior. The Word, the Word from God transformed Joseph. There's power in the Word. And before he heard God's word from the angel, Joseph is a common laborer who believes his wife is unfaithful. And after hearing God's word, the Holy Spirit worked through the words of the angel to create faith in Joseph's heart. And by faith, Joseph realized that his wife was the living temple who carried the king of kings the Lord of lords, in her womb. And it is by faith that Joseph takes up his vocation as king of Israel to protect and to nurture his little royal family. God came to Mary and Joseph in a way that changed their lives forever. And he also comes to make eternal change in us as well. He no longer comes to us by way of angels and dreams, but he sends his messengers. And sometimes it is in ink on paper, or it's dots on a screen as we read God's word in our private devotions. And other times the messenger is the father or the mother who leads the family in a Bible study. 
God's messenger comes as a pastor proclaiming the word of God to God's people. You, you are God's messenger when you take the good news of Jesus Christ out with you throughout these doors and into the community, to your friends, to work, out into the marketplace. The message of God comes to us through all of our senses. In private devotions, God comes to our eye as we see God's word on page or screen. He comes to our ear as we hear God's word proclaimed when we gather with Christ's bride, the church. In holy baptism, God comes to us in the touch of the water combined with God's word. And at the Lord's table, God comes to us through taste and, and smell as our mouths receive Christ's true body and his true blood. Regardless of the messenger God sends into our lives, we, like Joseph, can never be the same again. Before the messenger brings God's word, we are doomed sinners, destined for eternal punishment in hell, then we were hopeless, we were helpless. And in our despair, we lashed out at God's message and find it offensive. We blame God for the punishment we have brought upon ourselves and only distance ourselves from the one who loves us and wants to save us. And after he comes to us, he opens our eyes and we realize that we are the ones who destroyed our relationship with God. We freely admit that we have earned eternal punishment with our sins and that we have no hope in saving ourselves. That is the confession that we give at the beginning of our service. And it is then that the angel's message to Joseph brings comfort and hope to us. The baby in the womb of the virgin is our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. He is hope for the hopeless. He is help for the helpless. This is God eliminating the distance between us by becoming one of us. He is God's message in the flesh, and in the flesh, he will take the punishment that we earned onto himself. And here, we see the Son of God wrap his glory in humanity. And here, we see his first step on the road to the cross where he would pay the ultimate price, the ultimate bride price. And it is here that we see our salvation of our God. In the name of Jesus, amen.